And then any second now, everybody's going to start seeing us and hearing us and everything will be fantastic, at which point I will go ahead and I will, uh, I'll start the music. And once we start, everybody's going to start seeing us and hearing uh, us. There we go. That's that means that my audio's working. That's very good news. Love it when the audio works. That's always great. Hello, everybody. I think uh, I imagine that you're probably seeing me on uh, myriad platforms now, and that's good news. And so here we find ourselves. In any case, if I go ahead and I hit play on Odyssey, then there I am. And of course, I'm on Rumble as well. And I am uh, shortly on D Live. I'm also on Trovo. I'm also on Vaughn. I'm even. I'm there. It is okay. And so I go over here, and then then it shows me my I'm gonna, face. I'm going to give up on you, Nemo. There we go. I don't have to give up on you, Nemo. You just you just made me hear myself, which means everything's great. And so with that uh, with that happening, I just go ahead and I hit the uh, I hit this play bu- this record button as it were. And once I hit the record button, then the video recording begins. And then once the video recording begins, then I can play the intro music and the show can begin. episode of Surreal Politics. Good to be with all of you today. I'm the host of this production, Mind of Gather. Thank you very much for being with us on June 26, 2023. This is episode 15 of stage one, and I titled today's episode Russia and You, because to speak of the news today is to speak of a recent, what might be described as a coup attempt in Russia. I have no small degree of concern for the implications of this, and it will and I will, uh, I'll beg the pardon of the audience if I appear at times to be exceedingly cautious, because uh, I mean to be. I made a name for myself with unfiltered commentary, and even in this decidedly tamer format than earned me my notoriety, I have made every attempt to be as forthcoming as I can with all of you about how I view a situation. Today, by contrast, I'm a, I'm a little bit more reserved if I'm straight with you. The destabilization of the Russian Federation is a thing I fear no less, and perhaps just a bit more than the chaos engulfing my own country right now. Russia is, to me, a symbol of hope, a post-communist society led by a ruler who enjoys the support of his people. Vladimir Putin in, uh, retains this support despite his long reign, hardships to his population, and the necessary, at times, um, the ne- I'm sorry, and the necessity at times for measures deemed harsh by many. 
Americans who have run afoul of the ruling class have found safe haven in Russia. Edward Snowden and Tara Reid are just two of the more prominent names on that list, but the list is much longer than any of us could hope to know, and it will be beyond the scope of my preparations today to rattle off many more names. Prior to my compulsory vacation beginning in early 2020, during the first annual impeachment of Donald J. Trump, I had come to believe that Ukraine played a central role in the corruption of our politics and that Russia had been made a convenient scapegoat to distract from the Democrat malfeasance over there. All that has unfolded since has only made me more certain of this fact. So Russia matters to me and to you a great deal, as it were. They are fighting, in some sense, the same forces as we are. They have in no small part the same enemies and, importantly, the resources to wage that conflict. And so, quite unilaterally, which is to say without reciprocity, I consider Russia an ally. And so I don't want to criticize the Russian state or Vladimir Putin, letting you know that up front. And yet I do not think my interests are best served to make an enemy of the Wagner Group either. Didn't seem to have worked out very well for Vladimir Putin, as it were. I have enough trouble dealing with the U.S. government, its criminal element, and the Ukrainian SBU. If Wagner can wage war in Ukraine, then take a trip to the outskirts of Moscow, threaten Vladimir Putin, and then go take a rest in Belarus without losing a man, then we are dealing with the sort of entity that necessarily operates by a different set of rules that you and I are equipped to deal with. Let us also dispense with the obvious. The perpetrator of the coup, Yevgeny Prigozhin is Jewish. The uh, relevance of this is hardly lost on your humble correspondent, of course. There is an ethnic stereotype considered offensive by some, which could predictably result in the utterance of phrases unbecoming of the surreal politics business model. One might be inclined, for example, to deem it foolish for Vladimir Putin to uh, permit such a man to command his own private military, especially while waging a military conflict against a neighboring country with a Jewish president. Of course, there is cause to question the wisdom of any government allowing any private citizen to command his own military, and so it is not as if we cannot explore this a little bit here. In the first episode of Surreal Politiques, I identified Vladimir Putin as a master of the art of realpolitik. I have uh, not reconsidered this position. Whatever you think about Putin, he is not foolish. The man worked for the KGB and has governed the world's largest country for more than two decades while the most powerful forces on Earth have worked tirelessly to destroy him and his people. He has done this, perhaps most remarkably, with very popular support. Whatever you or I may think we know, we can be certain that Vladimir Putin knows more and is in a better position to make judgments based on this knowledge. So if a man does a thing which could appear foolish according to the standard of his stated purpose, but he is no fool, one might next question his character. It being wiser to judge a man by deed than word, a pattern of behavior evincing designs contrary to his stated purpose would be evidence of deception. We may consider it a given that Vladimir Putin has a relationship with the truth that is befitting his station. To be more explicit, a man in his position has no choice but to deceive people from time to time. One assumes, for the easiest example, that the decision to send troops across the border into Ukraine had been made well prior to his many statements insisting that he had no such intent, such as the nature of war. A man who acts under some moral compulsion to tell the truth at all times is at a strategic disadvantage to an opponent who suffers no such hindrances, and one cannot maintain a position such as the one Mr. Putin holds if he suffers such disadvantages. 
Of course, this being the necessary nature of politics and geopolitics all the more, the prudent man does not make negative character judgments about a leader based on this. There is little doubt to the informed observer that Russia could easily be ruled by lesser men than Vladimir Putin. Machiavelli was not the uh, only one to suggest that rulers ought to be judged by different standards than the common man. Government could hardly be conceivable otherwise. But Machiavelli went so far as to say that kings ought to be judged more by history than the news, essentially. What a ruler does today cannot always be fully comprehended until a great deal of time has passed and the long-term outcome can be realized. We clearly lack such a luxury, however. Machiavelli could scarcely have conceived of a world so fast-paced as ours. One also might infer that he viewed geopolitics in a decidedly Eurocentric fashion, without any concept of the possibility that Europeans might face a situation where they could be wiped out and replaced by non-Europeans. In his frame of reference, wars were won or lost by swords and catapults. One side or the other would yield, and then the conflict would tend to cease. Making judgments about the outcome of a nuclear war is unappealing in the extreme and all the less so to those who do not survive the first strike, whatever the motives of the actors involved may be. More troubling still, nuclear war might actually not be the worst possible outcome of this conflict, or it might be one step on the road to a still worse outcome, or the worst outcome ensues, nuclear weapons fall into the wrong hands, and then, well, you know, those who are left behind to bear witness are not to be envied, let's say. Such are the powers of demographic changes. All of which is to say that on a short list of poor options, men must make decisions within a given range of possibilities. For those of us judging from the outside, we can only make inferences based on imperfect knowledge. I infer from Vladimir Putin's long rule, the popular support that makes it possible, the fact that his people are not stupid— and the fact that he has easier options available to him than he currently exercises if he cared not for the well-being of his countrymen, that Vladimir Putin means well. Since I believe that he means well and that he is not stupid and has demonstrated a talent for realpolitik, I must then infer that there was a reason to allow Prigozhin to uh, acquire the power recently uh, exercised against the Russian state. I do not know what that reason was. I can only infer that it exists, or at some point did exist. And it does not appear as though this potential was entirely unforeseen. Prigozhin's stated motives included the prospect that the Russian state would take over his militia, and there were plans in the works to do precisely this. It might be said that Putin was a tad late in enacting that plan, but apparently not so late that he could not prevent the overthrow of his government, and so points to him for this much. And it does not appear as though this, um, oh, I just said that. But I do not expect that this will be the end of this story, of course. Prigozhin is not in prison. He is not dead. He has not bled. He took a military convoy within 150 miles of Moscow and killed Russian soldiers. Then he was permitted to leave on his own power. That he still lives speaks to powers he holds beyond the command of a military group and which remain unexplained to us at present. The Russian Federation is a post-communist society, ladies and gentlemen. In many ways, they have already been through what I fear we in the United States and elsewhere are racing toward. The importance of this can hardly be overstated. Vladimir Putin has witnessed the collapse of the Soviet Union. He has seen Russia rise again from this, largely under his leadership. 
He has adeptly steered this massive ship of a state through obstacles few in history could even contemplate, much less navigate. Letting Purgosian go uh, has been and will be with some merit viewed as a sign of weakness by his enemies, of which there are no shortage. They will seek to capitalize on this and encourage future uprisings, and those inclined there toward will be emboldened by Purgosian's march. This cannot possibly have been lost on Purgosian as he contemplated the move. He didn't have to take over Moscow to accomplish a very significant goal, and doubtless we have yet to learn what his true aim was. So as much as people in my line of work are compelled to some degree towards speculation, I must today decline. I have not the vaguest idea what happened over the weekend, much less what will come of it, and that troubles me a great deal. I mentioned earlier in my remarks that a number of Americans have found safe haven in Russia. These people did not choose the country at random. One doubts they dislike sun and sand and could no less easily have purchased travel arrangements to Costa Rica or Panama. I infer from this, though not from this alone, that the people who went to Russia went there for more than a non-extradition country. They expected meaningful guarantees of their safety, first and foremost, and they seem to have found this. Take the stark comparison and outcome between Edward Snowden and Julian Assange, and you would not have to think hard if you would prefer to go to Ecuador or Russia should you seek greener pastures than this empire. A sudden change in Russia's government could prove disastrous for a man like Edward Snowden. Were he to find himself in such an unenviable position, the range of options where you or I might go if things get beyond repair in our own countries is substantially reduced. Not that I have the vaguest idea on how you would get to Russia or what their asylum process is like. One imagines it is decidedly more restrictive than the one illegal immigrants use to abuse the United States. One also doubts Russia permits anyone to just traipse across their border and live at taxpayer expense. I can think of only one country foolish enough to permit this, and surely I need not name it. So before I conclude my rant and take your calls at 217-688-1433, I'll try to briefly give you a sneak preview of something I'd like to cover in greater depth in the near future. Elsewhere, I played an old clip from my uncensored production detailing a plan for the establishment of an enclave here in the United States. Among the points discussed were the uh, suggestion to establish an income stream not dependent on proximity to a major economy. That wording caused some confusion in the bitshoot comments, and even for those who understood the meaning of the language, the implications are hardly obvious. I could have said it more simply by uh, calling for an income stream not dependent on one's geography, which is to say geographic independence, that you can earn your income wherever you are, a work-from-home job of some sort. These are in greater supply today than in the wake uh, as a result of the uh, – these are in greater supply today in the wake of the COVID pandemic than they were at the time of the recording – I have been made to understand, but they are being reduced as companies realize that an employee uh, at home in his pajamas might not produce the same output as he does when he shows up at the office with all of the readiness rituals that uh, such an appearance entails. But even in the case of employment, uh, even in the case of remote employment, I should say, one is not entirely immune from the vicissitudes of politics. Employment as such can be problematic if your employer does not share your views or at least consider them uninteresting. Among the goals of this struggling media empire you are witnessing is to provide such employment opportunities and not necessarily in the media sphere. One may recall I once ran an online store with little connection to the political content and offered voiceover services as two example offshoot ventures. 
Unfortunately, I lost internet access before I could uh, get to the point I hope to grow these uh, ventures too. I do not consider it at all likely that we can achieve meaningful political outcomes by remaining infinitely divided over the continental United States, much less across the pond. To be effective, uh, people are going to have to move, whether that means escaping the system or taking it over. Whether you were to move to Manchester or Moscow, relocation without income is a perilous venture. Uh, What I'm about to talk about is not a sales pitch, I should note. It is not an offer of employment by any stretch of the imagination. You may offer time or financial resources to the venture if you see fit, but that is not the primary purpose of what I mean to illustrate either. The goal here is to help you visualize a range of possibilities, and if some number of you run with these ideas on your own, I hope only that you put the results to good use. It became a running joke at some point to tell people, learn to code, as if this were going to resolve the myriad economic crises of globalization. Clearly, uh, it does nothing of the sort. Firstly, because not all people can learn to code, even if they embark upon this course of education early in life, much less so if they've worked in construction for the last 30 years. But this does not mean that one is necessarily bound to a single employer in a single location for eternity with no hope of independence. For some, this will be the case, but if others are able to launch successful enterprises with the specific aim of hiring those people, then the future might not be the case for them. You may have noticed that I monetize these productions in a number of ways, some of them quite innovative. I've had to innovate on account of deplatforming, and this is made for valuable experience. There's not much sense in talking about fundraising or paywall memberships. Uh, Those are somewhat obvious and specific to my own trade, advertising to a large extent as well, though. Uh, There are opportunities in advertising um, that do not pertain to one being their own media producer. Recently, I was astounded at something I stumbled across almost by accident. I'm a subscriber to a number of what could be described as intellectual property licensing services. When you hear me play background music, uh, these are where that comes from. Most of my images, they come from AI image generators, but I occasionally make use of these services for images as well. Notably, the WordPress theme for SurrealPolitiques.com was purchased from one of these, and um, as are some of the plugins that make the functionality of that website possible. I had until recently only thought of these systems as repositories um, of audio-visual elements and some basic WordPress functionality, but it turns out they also license code for standalone web-based services, which could be broadly categorized as software as a service, or SaaS, business opportunities. You could buy the applications, put them on a server, and if you could generate traffic to these sites, you get paid. That is only the slightest oversimplification. These things obviously require some maintenance, but when, like me, you're already running a bunch of different servers, you're already doing most of that maintenance anyway, and in any case, if you do the maintenance for one of the services, you're doing the maintenance that you would need to do for a hundred of them in a lot of it, in, in large part. If you're moving money around, there's uh, accounting involved, and this increases in complexity as you form different companies, take on partners, hire employees, pay contractors, and deal with different financial institutions. But of course, this is no different from any other business at the end of the day. If you have customers, you have customer service to deal with, but the systems I'm uh, looking at are designed to keep this to an absolute minimum. And above all, anytime you're running a business, stuff happens, and you always have to keep that in mind. You can't just assume that everything will go smoothly. You have to assume that everything will be a complete catastrophe, and if you make that assumption, you are unlikely to be disappointed. 
But for example, there's a script I could purchase for $26 that will basically give you a site just like CoinMarketCap. If you're not familiar with that, um, CoinMarketCap is a very popular cryptocurrency website, um, which tells you a great deal of information about cryptocurrency. You could find out just about anything that one would need to know about the given state of the market. And this is basically a full-featured site that gets real-time and historical data for 2,200-plus different cryptocurrencies across a large number of exchanges. If people go to that site, click through your affiliate links, and sometimes, um, and then they sign up for those exchanges, um, you will get either a one-time referral fee or, in other cases, you get a cut of their trading fees for life, which can be substantial. The same developer of that plugin makes a trading signals application for uh, foreign exchange, commodities, stocks, ETFs, and more. So you get like basically a, um, a website that tells you about, say, the stock market or the commodities market. If you can then direct people to commodities markets where you can get a, a referral fee, um, this is a, a, a revenue source. Another script, also $26, is a multi-domain temporary email system which is basically something people can use to create throwaway emails for account registrations and that sort of thing. For $33 and presumably recurring fees for a third-party service provider, they offer a script to do the same thing with uh, text messages. Several payment gateways are offered to charge for the service, or you can monetize it with advertisements. Another script for $23 is a web-based QR code generator and URL shortener with some advanced features like adding a logo to the QR code or having um, configurable redirect links set up so that your QR code can direct people to different places over time. And again, you can charge for the service with uh, different payment gateways or you can monetize it with ads. Another script creates a pay-per-click site where you basically incentivize users to view advertisements. The advertisers have their end of the site where they bid for traffic. You bill them and pay the users. Another, perhaps a bit more ambitious, but priced at a shocking $21, um, creates a web interface for a voice over IP service that allows, among other things, users to upload a recording or use a text-to-speech system to robo-dial numbers and be connected to people who answer affirmatively to the automated system. And these are just a few of the ones that I uh, that are on sale at the moment. There are literally hundreds of these things, and that's just a, a, a near-random sampling of them. At the end of the last Uncensored production, I asked if anybody had knowledge of a system called Flutter, and to the gentleman who got in touch with me, thank you very much. Thank you very much for that indeed. This is, um, this is an architecture for building smartphone apps. The same service offers source code for a tremendous variety of smartphone apps, ranging from streaming media to financial services to clones of Airbnb and Uber and Instacart. One buys the code, makes some necessary customizations, and then publishes it to Google Play and the Apple App Stores. All that remains from there, aside from the aforementioned maintenance issues, is to get people using the app, which can be accomplished in the same way one promotes anything else. It is important to note that although the setup of these systems requires technical know-how, the customer service end does not. Say that one were to buy and launch several smartphone apps, they would require some customer service representatives who understood only who only needed to understand the user interface, which is by design not exceedingly technical. Then there is the work of documenting this use, which um, requires uh, a degree of skill for writing or producing documents. So if you're capable, basically, of ordering groceries or requesting a ride with your smartphone, you're capable of handling these tasks. If you are highly organized and good at math, then you're capable of handling the accounting that goes into running a number of small business startup companies. 
Sales, marketing, and advertising are not the sort of things one can train a chimp to do, but neither do they require an engineering degree. And thus is born what we economists refer to as a division of labor. This blends well with my uh, research recently into artificial intelligence, and more than this, the hardware associated with that technology. Graphics processing units, more often referred to as graphics card or GPUs, are exponentially more powerful than the more familiar central processing unit, or CPU, we all have in our computers. There are companies out there, notably runpod.io, which allow one to rent GPU time and are more or less agnostic about what one does with the system so long as they don't break the law or the system itself. Amazon and Microsoft and IBM offer similar services uh, with somewhat greater interest in the user's activities. These systems end up costing more over time, typically, than buying the hardware to be used, but they make great friends to the entrepreneur by doing away with the uh, uh, upfront costs, which are very substantial and which there is really no upper limit to. Prices range from $0.20 to $36 an hour for uh, GPU access on RunPod, with that highest price being for 8 H180 gigabyte uh, VRAM SXM5s. That's the, your five of this, uh, I'm sorry, eight of this very powerful GPU unit, which is a really tremendous amount of computing resources I doubt most listeners can even begin to comprehend. But just to give you an idea of the scope, I paid $279 for a graphics card, um, which I recently acquired for this show and for my AI research. I also acquired, uh, with the help of one of you, thank you, sir, a $600 computer for this purpose. I recently uh, had come across a file which I had secured with a password, and I have since forgotten that password. There is not a means by which to simply decrypt a file of this type. You have to uh, do what's known as a brute force attack, which is to say, enter many passwords until one unlocks the file. In this, in this case, I doubt I will ever um, manage to crack this password because I have a habit of creating exceedingly complex passwords myself. But I attempted this on my computer here using an application called Passware. Using my CPU that came with the $600 computer, I could enter approximately 1,000 passwords per second, which is obviously nothing to sneeze at. Using the $279 GPU, I could enter 70,000 passwords per second, which is, you may have gathered, a great deal faster. Unfortunately, this generated so much heat that I had to stop the process, but it was an interesting experience and, more to the point, illustrative of the potential uses of the technology. There are things normal people cannot do at home. They require professional service providers with specialized equipment, but the service provider need not be anywhere near the customer. The service provider need not be anywhere near the equipment performing the task. It is entirely geographic, geography independent. And so whether you are looking to flee the empire to take the reins thereof or just to spend more time with the kids, you may be pleased to know that these are things that I'm working on when not immersed in content production. I'm fairly easy to reach if you'd like to participate. It's realpolitics.com slash contact for one. And in the future, I hope to uh, return to the subject with greater attention to detail. And specifically, the, um, the this discussion is entirely incomplete with a, without a talk of like how to reduce your income requirements. Um, which is something I've become very adept at. I've had to. <laughs> um, and so as to be able to make, uh, you know, the most out of the the income that you have. Um, and so we'll return to it, and I look forward to discussing it with you when we do. 217-688-1433, if you'd like to be on the program, and I'm worried the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Let's go look at our, uh, let's go look at our super chats. Um, Rack Reacher says, how do you get reliable information about what goes on in Russia or Ukraine? 
You can run a powerful AI on your home computer these days with quantized models, uh, GPT for all, or text diffusion web UI. Wizard Vacuna 13B model is also available uncensored. I was able to have it generate very spicy alternative historical perspectives. So I don't really have um, any unique access to information from Russia or Ukraine. There's some Telegram channels that I follow. And um, part of what I do is, like, the other day I, um, I saw some of the English speaking channels referencing other channels that were, that, that they were translating for people. And so, um, in this way, I came across, for example, the, the, the telegram channel for the liberal democratic party of Russia, the LDPR, which a friend of mine joined when he, uh, when he was, uh, sent home. And so, uh, I was going basically using, uh, as a matter of fact, on the, on the, on the smartphone app for telegram, uh, you can translate posts right there in the app. I was doing this on the PC at first, and so I was like copying the 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 text and then taking it over to the translate thing in DuckDuckGo. So there's that. Um, I couldn't, especially the ones that are in Russian. I can't really tell you, but but I had a couple of people basically forwarding me stuff, and that was sort of how I um, how I reached it. If uh, if you want to. Uh, I'm not in a position to link you to any of the Telegram channels now or recall the names of them off the top of my head, but uh, we can I can I can link you to some of the stuff that I was looking at if you like. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three if you'd like to be on the program. As for the um, the the AI on your home computer, I don't I don't fully understand the quantized thing. I I I downloaded GPT for all and. GPT for all, I think, doesn't even have like GPU inference. It just uses the CPU, if I understand it correctly. And so that was really sort of unsatisfying. It like occupied all of my CPU and it was very slow. And um, and the models that come with it anyway, like I tried to do some politically incorrect stuff with them. I, I understand that you can load other models into it, but by the time I... By the time I uh, started... By the time I figured out how to load my own models, I was using Ubabuga is the one that I have running now. And that one, uh, I would say, is, uh, is in my view, substantially better. Let's go over a look at... Um... No, it can't be. Let's see. Let's refresh the page over at uh, Rumble, if you don't mind. And hopefully this does not... No? Okay. Well, hello, everybody on Rumble in any case. And so, uh, let's see here. But I understand, so what he's talking about, quantized models, I do not really understand the technology of it, but they've made it so that, like, when you talk about the um, the model of the AI is basically the product of the training of it. So, you know, the its command of language, say, is created by this thing called a model, which is created through a course of, you know, feeding it information known as training. Um, and then on top of that, you can use something called LoRa's L-O-R-A's, which um, allow you to like add on top of the model, which is something that I'm very interested in trying to do. If you've heard me talk about this before, you might recall me saying that I am I have an ambition to like feed one of these things. Um, uh, I have an ambition to feed one of these things my many years of writing. And through that, to try to like teach it to, I don't know, think more like me. My my 
research tells me that it's more complex than that, but that is one step in a process that I'm sort of trying to figure out. And so 217-688-1433, if you'd like to be on the program, I don't want you to talk the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Um, let me see if I can um, pull something up here. Because I, when I, you know what I have, like, let me see if I have, uh, I have, you know what I have not done yet? I have not pulled up, like, clean clips that I can play as a means by which to take a break on Surreal Politiques. Not that I know of off the top of my head in any case. And so I'm going to scroll down here and see if I can quickly find something. I'm not sure that I can. If I play a clip from Free Talk Live, then the Free Talk Live stuff is at least not going to have curse words in it. That's right. We have that much going for us. You know what I can do? I can do this. This would be... So now you're going to listen to a little Tucker Carlson, and I'll be right back. Good evening, and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Every American is born with inherent rights. That's what our founding documents say, and the purpose of the U.S. government is to protect those rights. That has been our national creed for hundreds of years, and it's worked. But the left no longer believes it. Progressives have decided that the Bill of Rights applies only to people who agree with them. Their views are protected by the First Amendment. Your views are hate speech. The Second Amendment covers their security detail. You can't be trusted to have a gun at home. Now the activist left is telling us that people who disagree with them no longer have freedom of movement or association. They can't go to the movies or go to restaurants. If they dare leave their homes, they will be surrounded by mobs and threatened. It's happening. Last Friday, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her family were forced to leave a restaurant in Virginia because the owner didn't like their politics. Sanders and her husband went home, but the rest of their family went to another restaurant. That wasn't good enough. They had committed the sin of being related to someone who works at the White House. So progressives continued to harangue them as they tried to eat. This is happening in a lot of places to a lot of people. Protesters, for example, have massed outside the home of White House aide Stephen Miller. In case their intentions weren't clear enough, they put up mock wanted posters with Miller's face on them. A DHS employee, meanwhile, found a burned, decapitated animal carcass on his front porch. Again, the message is crystal clear. Activists on the left are moving toward violence. They are aware of this, and some applaud it. A piece yesterday in Splinter News, which is owned by Univision, explained that intimidating Trump supporters in public places is, quote, just the minimum baseline here. This is all going to get more extreme, and it should, end quote. How extreme? Well, the article fondly recalls the domestic terror bombings of the 1970s, thousands a year in America. That's our future, the article says. Unfortunately, we're headed there fast. Over the weekend in Los Angeles, Congressman Maxine Waters urged the mob to hunt down and find members of the president's cabinet. Here's part of it. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who saying no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. Let's stay the course. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Maxine Waters isn't just any member of Congress. The Daily Beast calls her, quote, a folk hero. BuzzFeed describes her as the unchallenged new face of the Democratic Party. And indeed she is. She's also a self-described civil rights leader, which makes it a little weird to see her demanding that certain people be denied public accommodations. Sorry, we don't serve your kind at the lunch counter. That's exactly what she is saying. And she said it again yesterday. I stand by my speech in saying that the protests have already started. They're probably going to continue. The message of all this is clear. The left no longer considers its political opponents fellow citizens or even human. How long before they start openly calling for something bad to happen to those opponents? Well, in the case of Maxine Waters, it won't be the first time. In 1992, Waters cheered as racist mobs burned Los Angeles. As she put it at the time, riot is the voice of the unheard. When Reginald Denny was dragged from his truck and nearly murdered for the color of his skin, beaten in the head with a cinder block on camera, Waters championed his attackers. She partied with them after their trial. Maxine Waters has a record of endorsing mob violence. Everyone in Washington knows that. Democrats don't care. To his credit, Chuck Schumer did call Waters' most recent remarks, quote, not American. Good for him. But hardly anyone else said anything. Nancy Pelosi blamed Donald Trump for what Waters said. That was a theme. Stop hitting me, they said as they threw the first punch. I feel that we are in pre-Nazi Germany. The, the stages of things that are occurring on a daily basis, the obfuscation, the lies, the totalitarian behavior is shocking and horrendous. And we have to be vigilant. They follow the exact pattern that Hitler has. He is evil. He is evil. And the thing is, I thought, I'll come in and he won't really know because he's not that smart. He doesn't, you know, he'll just do a showmanship thing. But he's evil. This is about racism. This is pure and simple racism. That's all this is. The people who support him are frightened to death of this country becoming uh, the browning of America. Something interesting has happened. As progressives become more authoritarian and less tolerant, they seem more convinced that they're fighting actual Nazis rather than their fellow Americans with whom in the scheme of things they have only relatively mild political differences. The more they accuse the administration of extremism, the more extreme they become. And that's not surprising, because once you decide that the people who disagree with you are Nazis, everything is allowed. Why wouldn't you threaten them in restaurants or burn their houses down or who knows? This could very well end in tragedy. You start talking like this and you don't know where it's going to go. Some progressives seem to welcome all that. Quentin James, who's the head of a political action committee that supports Democrats, recently announced that those calling for calm are, quote, accomplices of the current administration. Accomplices? This is the language of total war. It's scary. It has no place in politics. We're heading towards something awful. And the only people who can stop it are the adults on the left. And there are still some. Democratic members of Congress, 
entertainment figures, religious leaders, media chieftains like Jeff Zucker at CNN or Andy Lack at NBC. They're silent now, cowering and complicit in all of this, but the country badly needs them to cool the rhetoric and rein in the mob. No more Nazi talk on their TV channels. No more screaming at people in restaurants. There's a point of no return, and we are approaching it, and we need their help to pull back. And unfortunately, um, the file date that I have for that was in September of 2018. And so uh, Tucker Carlson warned in September, no later than September of 2018, that we were approaching a point of no return. And then, uh, and then the FBI broke my door down, and COVID happened. And so I think that uh, I think we're well. I think we're well on that that route. Unfortunately, sadly, two one seven six eight eight one four three three. If you would like to be on the program, and we talk the less I have to, so please do give us a call. So I am uncertain of what this is. This was just sent to me. Uh, this is over at Trending Politics, titled "Watch: I Sold a Lot of State Secrets." Biden's joke raises eyebrows. Last week, during a meeting with Prime Minister Modi of the Republic of India, along with senior officials and CEOs of technology companies, Joe Biden made a remark that stirred controversy, controversy, casually joking about selling state secrets. Quote, I was just thinking anyway, I started off without you, and I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that we shared, he mumbled. <laughs> Hold on a second. So I don't know this trending politics website. Maybe this is a joke, because if Joe Biden actually said this, that's pretty substantial, I'd say. Because, uh, you know, a gaffe is when a politician tells the truth, right? The statement has raised eyebrows among those who believe that the president's words, even though they may be seen as a joke by some, are in fact true. Come on. This, this I was just thinking, uh, uh, the, anyway, I started off without you. And I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that <laughs> shared. That was not a joke. That was Joe Biden having a senior moment. I'm really confident of that. Um, official White House transcript says, OK, we I was just thinking uh, anyway, I started off without you. I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that we shared laughter. So so the White House didn't even bother to try to cover this up. This is actually the transcript that they released. <laughs> You're going to be kidding me. The meeting was intended to foster technological cooperation between the two nations. While Biden did discuss issues, his opening remarks have been the focus of the attention, overshadowing the intended message of the meeting. Joe seems to have found a novel way to reduce the national debt, selling state secrets. <laughs> so he just admitted to everyone that he's been doing for 50 years. The left is scrambling to try and cover up what he just said, or they will do what they do best and ignore, omit, and pivot, says uh, uh, Lisa B. Sarcasm. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Dementia is like truth serum for Biden, says another Twitter user. Might as well admit it. We all know it. And so, wow. Okay, so Joe Biden had a senior moment and admitted to selling state secrets. That's interesting, I would say, especially given the fact that, um, you know, Joe Biden has long said that he never spoke to uh, his brother or his son or anybody else about their international business dealings. You know? He's just hanging out on the, uh, on the golf course with, you know, him and Devin Archer, and they're just, you know, bringing their clients to the White House and stuff. They're never discussing business of any sort because that would be incriminating to Joe Biden, of course. You know? And, you know, those, those emails and the text messages on the laptop, you're supposed to ignore those because, because that's Russian disinformation, you might have heard. 
But, uh, you know, one of the cool things about this whole laptop thing is that uh, I don't know exactly what format this is being passed around in, but, you know, the it, little bits just keep on dropping, right? And so there was a recent story that Hunter Biden had sent a text message to somebody in the Chinese government saying like, hey, I'm sitting here with my father <laughs> and we're wondering why you haven't made this payment that you're supposed to make. So don't make me make you regret screwing around with us. Essentially, I don't have the exact text in front of me, but I could probably pull that up as a matter of fact. Here, the message sent on July 30th, 2017 to an official, Henry Zhao, working with a Chinese energy conglomerate, CEFC Energy, linked to the Chinese military intelligence. Hunter Biden said that he was sitting next to his father and quote that we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. The message became public on Thursday when Congress made public testimony from an IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, who obtained the message during his investigation of Hunter Biden's various tax crimes. Hours after the message was sent, Hunter Biden was pictured at his father's home, sitting behind the wheel of the president's beloved 1967 Corvette Stingray with family members. And so any suggestion that, you know, Hunter Biden was just, you know, in a, a motel room with a crack whore being like, come on, give me money, Chinese government is not plausible because the photo is taken moments later with him at the house. So I go ahead and call that problematic, let's say. 217-688-1433. And so, all right, so Joe Biden uh, fell asleep for a moment, was like, well, we're still in state secrets. And, uh, oh, what, uh, wait a second. We're just supposed to be talking about technology. Sorry, I, I get state secrets and technology confused all the time because, you know, that's what I've been doing with the Chinese all this time. And so that's not good for us. And so, you know, there's that. Um, Let's see here. I'm not, I'm not going to read anything about the Belarus thing. We'll pull this up. Uh, Disney, uh, Disney's screwed. Um, some people mock the go woke, go broke thing, but it seems to be actually happening. The Walt Disney Company is estimated to have lost a stunning $890 million on its last eight studio releases, including The Little Mermaid and Elemental, according to a box office analyst. So The Little Mermaid, you might know, um, is white. Okay, like most characters in Disney movies have been because, you know, those are the people who pay for the movie tickets and the Disney tickets and stuff. And so then, you know, so they create these white characters and then somebody comes along and they're like, look, I don't have an original idea in my head, but maybe we could redo the Little Mermaid and the Little Mermaid can be black. So let's do that. And somebody's like, that's a great idea because you know what? I'm trying to ruin this country. And if I just create a little bit more racial tension by replacing white characters, then I might bring us closer to that goal. So let's go ahead and do it. And if the company loses money, that's fine because I don't really care about money. I just care about misery and suffering. Disney could see even more red ink since these titles are all destined for Disney Plus, the streaming service, instead of other streamers like Netflix or Amazon Prime Video, where they could generate additional revenue. The YouTube box office analyst known as Valiant Renegade laid out his argument in a recent video in which he estimated that many Disney blockbusters actually lost money or barely broke or even or during, during their um, theatrical runs, despite the news media spinning them as hits. That's right, because... If you were to watch, you know, if you were stupid enough to get information from CNN, say, you know, 
If you were like, I think CNN's a credible source of information, so I'm going to tune there and there and get some news today. If you're going to do something that's stupid, then you might go over there and they'd be like, oh, wow, it's so great that Disney got rid of those stupid white people because they ruined everything. And now that black people are in the cartoon, then that's going to make everything good for them, right? Uh, so if you're stupid enough to believe that, then, you know, then you might be misinformed. Unfortunately, you listen to the show and you're not a retard. And so it's terribly unlikely. The YouTube box office analyst, yada, 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 despite the uh, media spinning them as hits. Um, so they include Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Thor, Love and Thunder, Ant-Man, The Wasp, Quantumania, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Two of the titles were outright bombs. Strange World and Lightyear. Oh, yeah. Lightyear was the one where they basically turned the astronaut character gay, right? They're like, hey, look, I know that you've basically been a masculine macho character for the past, you know, several um, installments of this smash hit series. But we're going to need you to go ahead and kiss a man. And he's like, well, I guess I'm an animated cartoon character. I don't have much say. And so, you know, whatever you whatever you make me do, Mr. Cartoonist. But, you know. Otherwise, I imagine that Buzz Lightyear really would have been ticked off about this. While two others are still in theaters, The Little Mermaid and Elemental. Now, what Elemental was the one, Elemental is like they they have like a, a transgender one, is that it? Disney could have another bomb on its hands in the form of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which opens on Friday. The fifth installment of the franchise has received scathing reviews since premiering at the Cannes Film Festival. The analyst omits uh, the analysis omits Avatar: The Way of the Water since it was financed by James Cameron's Lightstorm Entertainment before Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox. Come on, you know I'm reading this from Breitbart, and Breitbart is not telling me about why all these things are terrible. So I understand like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever is like okay, you know Wakanda, right? And so you know. The, the Wakandans are not known for, uh, I mean, they they spend money, of course. It's, um, let me see here. What, what happened to Thor? What, what do they do with Thor? There's got to be, is the Wikipedia page contain information about controversy? Come on. The review aggregator website, Rotten Tomatoes, reports an approval rating of 63% for Thor Love and Thunder with an average rating of 6.4 out of 10 based on 434 reviews. The site's critics' consensus reads, in some ways, Thor Love and Thunder feels like Ragnarok Redux, but overall it offers enough fast-paced fun to make this a worthy addition to the MCU. On Metacritic, the film uh, has a weighted average score of 57 out of 100 based on 64 critics, mixed or average reviews, audience. Uh, come on, just tell me what they did to do the social justice. Of course, I'm reading Wikipedia, which is like an Antifa blog, and they don't tell me any information. At least give me a second here. What'd they do to Thor Love and Thunder? I have no idea. I mean, Thor Love and Thunder SJW, that's what I need to know. More SJW insan- uh, in insanity. Natalie Portman is the... F- oh, okay. So, f- <laughs> okay. So, Thor Love and Thunder is a female Thor. Is that what you're saying? Is this what actually happened? Is this the idiocy that, that we're dealing with here? I'm sorry. After a long wait, Marvel Studios has released a brand new Thor Love and Thunder trailer 
this morning, featuring, among other things, a glimpse of Natalie Portman as the Mighty Thor. In addition to the trailer, Marvel also released a synopsis that revealed how Thor, Love and Thunder, will follow the God of Thunder's quest for inner peace, as well as a Christian Bale, as well as Christian Bale's role as the villain. Okay, I get it. So you you turn Thor into a woman, and you had Christian Bale, a white man, play the villain. Now I understand why this movie failed. Ant Man and the Wasp. I don't like. I don't know any of this stuff. What the heck is this? Ant-Man and the Wasp did what? What did they do to Ant-Man and the Wasp? Not that I, I don't even know. Like, I watched one Ant-Man movie, and it was mildly entertaining. I think it was pretty pretty interesting, actually. So what did they do? What did you do to Ant-Man? Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, SJW. Um... Sorry. All right. Let's go read it on Rotten Tomatoes. Somebody's going to say something negative about it, and it's going to be because critic consensus, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumadia mostly lacks the spark of fun that elevated earlier adventures, but Jonathan Major's Kang is a thrilling villain poised to alter the course of the MCU. Continue without disabling. I'm not disabling my ad blocker for you, Rotten Tomatoes. Go to get the heck. Um. Well, they took all the fun out of it, obviously. The more appealing thing about the whole enterprise is the mental image of these former A-listers hanging out between takes, swapping stories of the old days, and competing over who least understands the script. Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror is almost the only great thing about this uh, quasi-animated film that was supposed to bring life to a... um, All right. Well, whatever. Like it or not, this is the Ouroboros of Marvel's cinematic universe has become... Kang's backstory may be a little more convoluted than Thanos's, but in the end, he also just wants to burn the broken worlds to create a better one, and I'm not getting anything worth reading here. Sorry. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. What happened to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? What did they do? Let's find out, shall we? SJW. We just have to add SJW to it and find some criticism. Common Sense Media? No. All right. Well, I don't know what Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know what they did to Guardians of the Galaxy. But Elemental, I'm understanding, is a um, is there is like a transgender character, right? Nolte, Disney's Elemental Bombs with $3.5 million Thursday opening. Now that Pixar, Pixar's Elemental has opened to a pathetic $3.5 million on Thursday, the groomers and child abusers at Disney appear to have yet another box office catastrophe on their hands. For those interested in context, Disney's box office catastrophe, Big Gay Lightyear, opened to a $5.2 million on Thursday. For those interested, uh, uh, far-left Variety looked at Elemental's box office future and used the word disaster. Naturally, Variety elements, uh, invents a lame excuse for the disaster. In regards to Elemental, the family-friendly film is bracing for disaster. The projected ticket sales are rivaling 2015's The Good Dinosaur at $39 million and 2020's Onward at $39 million as the worst starts in Pixar's modern history. The animated empire has been struggling since the pandemic. <laughs> yes, of course. Everything is the result of the pandemic, of course. Except for Donald Trump's, you know, supposed loss in 2020. That's all on Joe's merit. 
The studio took Elemental to the Cannes Film Festival Friday, uh, not Friday, to amplify the point to all the youngsters summoned, sunning themselves on the French Riviera that Pixar is again making movies for the big screen. Yeah, that's the problem. Releasing a few Pixar films on streaming uh, trained kids to watch animation at home, which is why the Super Mario Brothers movie, despite lackluster reviews, has already grossed $571 million domestic and $1.3 billion with a B worldwide. Let me guess, the next excuse will be, but, 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 Super Mario isn't a Pixar film, and Pixar films people have been uh, trained to watch on streaming, to which I will reply, do you have any idea how stupid you sound? No one in the corporate media dares to tell the truth, which is what Disney's years-long attempt to groom small children with sexual adult sexuality, homosexuality, transvestites, transsexuals, and drag queens ensured no decent parent would allow their children anywhere near the magic child abuse kingdom. <laughs> the groomers at Disney spent $200 million to produce Elemental and at least $100 million to promote it. Because theaters keep about half of the ticket sales, this sucker will have to gross in the vicinity of $600 million worldwide just to break even. Currently, it's making less money than Lightyear, and Lightyear's worldwide gross topped at 302, I'm sorry, $226 million. If I turn that down. Is that better? That's better. Um... Studio accounting has always been hinky, so what Disney's ultimate losses will add up to are hard to calculate. But let's just say that Disney will have a lot less money to spend on Vans, video cameras, and candy, which is a beautiful thing. Ha, that's a pretty funny reference. In two weeks, come on, you tell me about the movie, Nulty. It's like, ah, well, I wouldn't want to mention. It's a transgender character, I'm reasonably confident. Let's find out. Let's just look at the trailer. Because you know what? Nobody's going to tell me. Like, I can't tell you. If I tell you what it is, then I'll get in trouble. I'll tell you. I, I mean, you know. Are you serious? Are you going to do that to me? Let's go to... Let's try this. Let's try this. And so, let's look at the trailer. I think I could do that. do it than this like what happened what i'm all right now i'm annoyed elemental transgender let me just get somebody to tell me 
Because that's what it is, right? I heard this somewhere else, I, you know. Shut up. Shut up. Um... Excuse me. You feel it. Are you kidding me? Get. Uh, this is pretty funny. Continue to the site because I don't want to. I don't want to disable my ad blocker for you. USA Today. Kiss my butt. You feel it all deeply. Pixar's first rom-com Elemental talks frankly about racism. Oh, well, there we go. The Journey to Elemental. Pixar's new animated film in theaters Friday started eight years ago in the New York borough of the Bronx. Pixar veteran Peter Sohn, he directed Elemental as well as 2015's The Good Dinosaur, and his likeness informed the face of Russell in Up, was back up where he grew up for a festival celebrating the arts. I had invited my brother and pair, shut up and tell me about the transgender character. What's wrong with you? All right, whatever. It's, it's a stupid movie complaints about racism or whatever. Fine. Screw it. I'm, 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 I'm on the verge of uh, breaking the rules and using profanity, so I'm going to move on to something else. So anyway, Disney's in the hole, I guess, is what I mean to get across. And you already know that because you stay informed of things. And so I'm just going to close this uh, whole elemental thing out and move on. Here's a really pretty fun one. So you might have heard that um, it came up recently that uh, there was a guy. And the guy's name was uh, um, the guy's name was Magnus Hirschfeld. Okay. And uh, Magnus Hirschfeld was not a Nazi. As a matter of fact, Magnus Hirschfeld was a Jewish character, as it is. He's a Jewish homosexual who happened to live in Germany at a, at a time that uh, might ring familiar if you know anything about history. And so um, he basically created the whole transgender thing. He had this Institute for Sexual Research. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in German. You get the idea. And so... Matt Walsh, well, this I think this first the, this meme first broke on um, this meme first broke on um, uh, Zero Hedge, if I'm correct. I believe Zero Hedge started this stupid, obnoxious thing, saying that basically transgenderism was some kind of Nazi plot. Okay, all right, fine. Maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe the Nazis created transgenderism. What do I know? You know. If I were going to create transgenderism, I wouldn't put it in mind Kampf for sure. It would have to be a secret plot, obviously. And so um, so maybe they're exposing a secret. Now, I actually know the spoiler alert. That's not what happened. <laughs> but so, so Matt Walsh goes and says, um, much like Tyler Durden did on Zero Hedge, he's like, oh, well, the, the transgenderism thing was a bunch of Nazi scientists. And a bunch of people called him out for this. And so I, I would go on Revolver News and let's see here. No, not more. Meet the man who started the entire transgender cult is what we've got at the headline on Revolver News. And I'm like, oh, well, Revolver News is going to straighten the whole thing out. Yeah, this is great. So they're going to go out and call out Matt Walsh for this nonsense that he did on Twitter. And I'm like, I really like these revolver guys. <laughs> and so that that links us to a place called Discern Report. And we get an article by a man by the name of J.D. Rucker, which says, Matt Walsh reveals the degenerate filth who started the transvestite cult. And you're thinking, okay, this is sarcastic. And the guy's going to call it out for what it is. 
Matt Walsh has a way of wading into controversy armed with nothing but facts and logic. That may be why he's quickly becoming one of the most hated and feared fighters of the political right. Leftists have put him up there with Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, and the Apostle Paul and Christopher Cantwell as people who make their, who challenge their worldview. Now, they didn't mention me, but, you know, you get the idea. His latest thread on Twitter is no exception. In it, he highlighted five of the most despicable men in history who also happen to be very closely tied to the origins of the LGBTQIA+, PPP, supremacy movement. You get it. The truth is brutal. Be warned that some of what Walsh, Walsh describes should make your skin crawl. The trans agenda was invented by pedophilic psychologists, degenerate quacks, lunatic sexologists, literal Nazi scientists, and other assorted deviants. A collection here of the most despicable monsters imaginable came with all this stuff. Here are five names you should know. And they got the tweet from Matt Walsh, which reads, The trans agenda was invented by pedophilic psychologists, degenerate quacks, lunatic sexologists, literal Nazi scientists, and other assorted deviants. A collection of the most despicable monsters imaginable came up with all this stuff. Here are five names you should know. Well, that's the Matt Walsh tweet. You just, oh, okay. So I won't read the thing twice in the next paragraph. John Money pioneered the concept of gender identity. He tried out his theory on twin boys and who he abused and experimented on throughout their childhood. They went on to kill themselves. Alfred Kinsey is the godfather of modern comprehensive sex ed programs. He came up with many of the theories of sexuality that are now taught as fact in our schools. He listed he enlisted a pedophile who raped children so that he could document the victim's orgasms. Volkmar Sigush was a sexologist who coined the terms coined the term cissexual. He argued in favor of exposing children to pornography and insisted that pedophilia should not be stigmatized. This latter point was common belief among many pioneers of the trans movement. Magnus Hirschfeld, another German sexologist, he opened one of the world's first transgender clinics. He was an avid proponent of eugenics and believed in forcibly sterilizing those who were feeble-minded. The Nazis would later implement eugenics on a massive scale. Erwin Gorbat, a leading scientist in Nazi Germany who performed one of the first sex reassignment surgeries. He helped design human experiments that were carried out on prisoners at Dachau. Decau, whatever, these stupid things. Decau. In one experiment, victims were submerged in ice-cold water to study the effects of hypothermia. Many died. This is far from a comprehensive list, but these are the sorts of people who gave us trans ideology, a brutal, depraved, pseudoscientific movement from the very beginning, an ideology pushed by monstrous quacks and dangerous perverts. I guess some things never change. As could easily be predicted. Comments in the thread tried to paint Walsh as a Nazi. <laughs> they said he was misleading. They tried to debunk him, but nothing he posted was untrue. It's becoming increasingly difficult to reverse the massive brainwashing that has been done to so many Americans. At this point, our best option is to assume the fully indoctrinated or lost and keep others from falling victim to agenda. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, those of you who are brainwashed enough to think that, um, hey, maybe the, the Jewish homosexual had his uh, workshop burned down by the Nazis might not have been a Nazi. You know, you're just brainwashed by modern propaganda is really what it is. You're standing up for Nazis and transgenders by pointing out that the Jewish homosexual had his shop burned down by Nazis, um, you know, probably wasn't part of the team. 
But of course, it doesn't take long for this to get debunked in the comments. And so the transgender movement was started by a Jewish guy named Magnus Hirschfeld, who wasn't a Nazi. He takes facts and then deliberately misleads gaslighting. Show where Matt Walsh said Hirschfeld was a Nazi. It isn't there. Well, you know what? You know exactly what you're doing, Matt Walsh. LGBTQP, says Sid. Of course. Their ultimate focus is on the P. Yes, it is. And so um, I don't think that they've done a great deal to, uh, to, uh, to call attention to this. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Now, let's see here. Oh, I, no, I don't want to do that at all. We better go back to this scene over here, and then I can, then I can bring up my messenger, and you don't read my messages. That's not, that's not what we want to do at all. 217-688-1433. Um, is there a way to turn the eye contact AI up or down? With your current settings, you look a little bit like a robot with an uncanny stare. He's using AI eye contact, didn't notice. Now I'm paying attention. I didn't know he was actively using that. Um, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. It's, uh, chatting is best wasted anyway. So, all right. So that's, uh, so my AI... My AI fake eye contact thing is uh, is a little off-putting, I'm being told. But, you know, at other times it works out. And so there's that. Uh, let's go check the Rumble chat over here. Morning. Maybe the chat is over here. Hi, everyone. They made Natalie Portman take over his thought. Oh, see, I should have just looked over at Rumble, and then you would have explained it to me. Thank you very much, Nat, Nate Mac. Um, and uh, uh, let's see here. Over here we have, oh, there's a whole bunch of money waiting for me over here. Um... Let's go over here and look at money. So um, maybe next time sends me three bucks. He says, buy some eggs. Don't mind if I do. 20 bucks from Dave R. 33. Hail Cantwell. Hail Russia. Hail Victory. Keep up the good work, brother. Thank you very much. I will. Um, check out The Critical Drinker on YouTube. He's one of the most popular film critics, and he's pretty based. Funny as hell, too. Covers the uh, Disney Marvel train wrecks very well. All right. Well, I, uh, I'm not going to go ahead and steal his content because I'm not a crook. But I'm glad to know that there are people calling it out. And let's see how long they manage to keep their YouTube channels. Because that is uh, that can be difficult indeed. Um, uh, 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And uh, the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Pardon me. A lot of signals, a lot of signals, a lot of signals. Um, no, not that, not that. What did Roseanne Barr say? Let's see what Roseanne Barr so It's not to say. about money. So my question to both of you before we wrap up. So I got a, somebody tried to play a trick on me, you know. Um, somebody played, tried to play a trick on me. And I think that this is where the trick comes from. Somebody passed around a thing saying that Roseanne Barr was like a Holocaust denier. And I was like, wow, what is that about? And I was like trying to find a credible source for it. I was like, this is deep fake stuff. It's a good thing that I did some research into AI. But apparently um, she wasn't talking about the Holocaust, but she was saying some very nasty things about the UN. So let's find out what it, uh, she had to say. Is what is it? What is it about? Why are they so concerned with this narrative? Because it's got to be nefarious. It's not, I don't believe for a second it's, it's to bring people up and people of color. I don't buy that shit for a second. It doesn't Ooh, feel sorry. They don't care about gay people or black people or anything. Absolutely. No, so no. what do they care about? Power. They care about their 
perversions and their degeneracy caused by their love of unfettered power. And it does corrupt, absolutely. And they are corrupt. Mm. And, you know, uh, you just have to look at the UN, that they're all tied in with that. And the UN is the most corrupt, abysmal beast on the face of the earth. Next to the FBI. No, the UN is based on Lucifer. So, I mean, they're Luciferians. That's all they care about. She's in and everything James that that is about. How does pushing woke agenda lead to Luciferian Because uh, I Mecca? Satan, or Lucifer is the illuminated one that they all worship. Marx, Marx himself uh, worshiped Lucifer. Lucifer is their god. They're religious. I think that um, people don't understand that they care about their. Yeah, I, I think that Marx had a religion. I just uh, religion more than they do money. I mean, they're crazy. better than us in that. But their religion is a bloodletting cult, and uh, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't like people like us. <laughs> oh, you can see James O'Keefe is very uncomfortable with this. That's pretty funny. Um, so it's not and you, about and money. And you can so sort of understand why you could sort of understand why that was tempting for a, a fake. Um, for Fine, this is literally hey, 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 not hey, even hey, the shut fu- up, get out of here, go away, go away, you okay? And so um, let's go back over here. And now we uh, now I have my browser back, and I don't have to worry about you seeing things. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you tell, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. That was pretty funny. Um, Roseanne uh, was. Uh, saying some things that uh, somebody apparently felt tempted to go and, you know, use AI to make a Holocaust denial theme out of. And so it doesn't appear that Roseanne was denying the Holocaust. That's the headline here. Okay. I'm just trying to let you know that she wasn't saying that she wasn't, she wasn't blaming this on the Jews, blaming it on the UN. And she was saying that they have a religion of bloodletting that they hate us and want to destroy us, whoever, you know, we happen to be, I'm not sure. And, you know, Karl Marx was a member of that religion. And so you shouldn't res- you should not mistake it for anti-Semitism. That's very important for you to understand. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program and more you talk the last I have to, so please do get so very, uh, very sad story in um, in uh, on on the in Greece. At the island of Kos, as it were, this uh, this very beautiful girl, she's dead. Uh uh, Polish media reveals Polish woman murdered on Greek island of Kos was go- was uh, gang raped by migrant suspects. Polish media outlets have revealed that the 27-year-old Polish woman, Anastasia Rubinska, who was found dismembered inside a plastic bag on the Greek island of Kos, was gang raped by migrant suspects before being murdered. Rubinska, who was working in a hotel restaurant, was reported missing on June 12th. Her partner informed the local police about her disappearance. On June 18th, Greek media reported that the young woman had been found dead. Her body was naked, placed in a sack, and covered with branches. Because her murderers were obviously very sophisticated criminals. The remains were found close to the home of a 32-year-old man from Bangladesh who had been arrested on suspicion of having kidnapped the woman the day before. The DNA of the dead woman was found in the suspect's home. According to the Greek media, the man contradicted himself during police questioning. He first alleged that the woman had consented to sex with him, but later said that no contact had taken place. CCTV camera footage confirmed that the woman had been at the house of the suspect. TVP uh, has info has also reported 
that the man had scratches on his face and hands, suggesting that the young woman had tried to resist her abductor. It has been reported that the woman was a victim of a gang rape in which other migrants participated. It is um, additionally alleged that the woman had her drink spiked. Police are investigating the role played by a 32-year-old Pakistani who had helped to shelter the suspect. The Polish Justice Ministry has initiated an investigation of its own. Polish prosecutors will demand access to all the evidence. On the afternoon of June 19th, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki uh, said that the that Poland will demand the man uh, currently in custody be handed over to the Polish authorities to face trial in Poland. And so let's hope that whoever uh, murdered that beautiful blonde woman uh, does not ever see the light of day again. But, uh, you know, you got to think, like, what the heck's wrong with um, somebody who uh, would destroy something that beautiful to begin with and then, like, go and destroy it apparently for no reason at all other than his own sexual gratification to be so bad at keeping secrets as to involve his friends and then to and then to do it and then leave the body by his house, drag her DNA inside, and uh, and then contradict himself while he's talking to the police. That is uh, not just like a low-quality human being and that like he goes and he murders a beautiful girl. But that he 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 senselessly goes and commits this stupid crime for no other benefit than 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 a moment of excitement, destroys this woman's life, and then like lacks the capacity to even think about it sufficiently to not leave the 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 corpse in proximity to his home or like to like take a to like clean himself up afterwards. You go and you flood a country with stuff like that, ladies and gentlemen, and your country is not going to exist for very long. And that's a very, very, very sad state of affairs. Let's see here. If you want to get on the uh, phones, go ahead, get on the phones. If not, I'll call it early tonight. And this appears to be a uh, it, this appears to be a bigger problem. Um, they're hunting woman. Another Polish woman comes forward and claims a friend of Koss murder suspect claimed tried to rape her. The woman, known as Maria, told a Greek broadcaster how she very nearly met the same fate as murdered 27-year-old Anastasia Rubinska. A 30-year-old Greek, uh, the, a 30-year-old woman told Greek media that there is an organized group of migrant men on the Isle of Kos who are preying on young women, revealing that she herself had a close escape. The woman, known only as Maria, has come forward and claimed that just meters away from where the body of 27-year-old Anastasia Rubinska has been found, a person of interest in that murder investigation tried to rape her. The uh, She further warned of a widespread problem on the Greek island of migrant men hunting women. Maria told Greek broadcaster Mega that a man who is a friend of the prime suspect in the murder of Anastasia Rubinska uh, tried to rape her in early June in a spot just meters away from where the body of 27-year-old Polish woman was found. Her recollection of the attempted rape was that during the night out, someone spiked her drink. Her body seemed paralyzed even though her mind was functioning clearly. She managed to get away from the Pakistani man and is relieved she did not meet the fate of the young woman murdered there just days later. Maria accused the local police of being passive in response to her attempts to reach them and revealed that she has now left the island for her hometown. A 32-year-old Bangladeshi migrant is being held as the prime suspect, etc., etc. You already know that because we just went through this in the other story. 
Um, I should probably touch on Fox News. Fox News has announced their new uh, their new primetime lineup, and this is not, um, you know, I mean, whatever. I don't even watch the damn thing anymore. Do I say damn on surreal politics? I don't know if I usually do that or not, but, you know, it's fitting, I guess. Um, uh, Fox News has basically given up, I think is the moral of the story. They're not even, like, trying. They're not, like, not even replacing talent. We're just like, okay, guys, we're going to make Gutfeld early now. <laughs> So if you don't know, before they got rid of Tucker Carlson, it was special report with Brett Baer at 6 p.m. Eastern, then Jesse Waters primetime at 7, then Tucker Carlson at 8, then Hannity at 9, then Laura Ingram at 10, then um, Gutfeld at 11, then Fox News at night at 11, I'm sorry, at midnight, uh, first with uh, Shannon Bream, and then, of course, uh, when she became the uh, host of Fox News Sunday, then Trace Gallagher took over, uh, always a classic guy, Trace. And so, you know, Fox News had really quite the lineup. And uh, then they got rid of Tucker Carlson and they were like, well, you know what? Nobody's watching anyway. So, like, why are we going to hire people? I guess is kind of the, the thinking that they had. And so now Laura Ingram is going from 10 p.m. to 7 p.m. And Jesse Waters is moving to 8 p.m. Big promotion. You get to go to work an hour later after you show up at five o'clock to do the five. <laughs> and so um, I think that what's going to happen is that Fox News is intentionally losing um, everything. I think they're going to basically be like, hey, CNN, hold my beer, you know. We're just going to give up, I think is what they're doing. And so we'll have to see what happens if Laura Ingram and Jesse Waters like figure it out and be like, um, I need out of the contract. I'm going to go do a Twitter show with Tucker, you know. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't look like they're even trying, you know. They're just going to move everything up an hour. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't understand why Laura Ingram's like, hey, I'm sick of coming in here at 10 o'clock. OK, I've been I've been with you for years. I'm a popular show. I'm good at what I do. I don't want to I don't want to start. I don't want to get out of work at 11 o'clock. OK, we got to go. I need an earlier shift. And so they're like, all right, fine. You go to seven o'clock and we'll move Jesse to eight. And um, and then I uh, got felled. You could start at uh, 10. All right. Well, you know, you could try that. I don't think it's going to work out very well. And so. Just in time, you are on the radical agenda, caller. What's your agenda? I'm, you're not on the radical agenda. What am I talking about? You're on surreal politics, and I and and there are no agendas here. We're just trying to get to the facts. <laughs> okay, getting to the facts. I'm just um, I just I'm just curious uh, how you feel about Tucker Carlson now that he's on Twitter. Has his uh, was it a good move? Was it a white pill that he got kicked off of Fox News? I think it's very bad that he got kicked off of Fox News. I mean, you know, I I am of the view that whatever happens, one must turn it to their advantage, okay? And so, you know, he's arguably getting more people to watch than he was when he was on Fox News. I don't know what the subsequent view counts have been, but I know episode one saw 80 million views in 24 hours or something. So, you know, there's that. But... Without this production team and all the, you know, guest booking and everything else, it's a completely different thing. It's basically it's basically Tucker Carlson doing a 10-minute monologue, you know, what, two or three times a week? So, like, I, I think that that is substantially less impactful content-wise, even if more people are seeing it. And so, um, you know, and, and his being, you know— being in that spot on Fox News is important for the people who are watching, okay? That is, you know, the Republican primary voter. That's who you're influencing when you're in the Fox News primetime lineup. That's that's what's important about what he was doing. 
you know, he goes on Twitter and maybe more people watch and, you know, maybe more people are influenced by what he has to say. But like what you're getting out of the new show is more Tucker's verbal talent and his capacity to turn a phrase than you are, um, you know, news about stories about the news of the day, say. And so I think that there's ups and downs to it. Um, you know, the outcome remains to be seen, of course, but, uh, it's, I, I think it's a very bad decision on the part of Fox to do this. It's not good for Fox and things that are not good for Fox, uh, are not good for the right more generally, it, it, unless, you know, some other force comes to take the place of Fox. If Fox loses to MSNBC and CNN, well then, you know, then the country's doomed. Okay. Um... Did you happen to catch any of uh, RFK on Joe Rogan, his latest interview? No, I have not. Uh, I have not caught that at all. Okay, so I feel. Let me ask one more question. So uh, Tucker Carlson gets kicked off of Fox News, and didn't you just say you haven't watched Fox News since? No, I, Fox News is literally on the TV to my left right now. Like Fox News is literally um, Laura Ingram's about to uh, conclude. Okay. I don't watch uh, it nearly so, so much. Like, this, like I have it on the background for the most part. So, like, what I well, a lot of times, what I it's it's surprising that I actually have it on. I've learned to ignore it so much that I forgot to change the channel at eight o'clock today. Um, <laughs> what, what what I've been doing is are, like, are, are you going to fight with anybody for the TV when Tucker Carlson isn't there? Yeah. If I if I ever end up without internet access again, I might have to. But you know, in the meantime, you know, <laughs> like here, I don't have anybody to fight with the TV about. So, you know. I don't really, I don't care about anything on the TV other than the news, right? And so, <clears throat> I I have it, I have it on most of the time in the background, and like I for the entire, I don't think I've unmuted the TV for more than ten minutes today. So like I I I turned it on in the morning. I came over, I sat down. I was like, okay, what are they saying about you know the 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 mutiny in Russia? And then they started talking about the election. I was like, okay, shut up, and I muted the television. It's been muted ever since, and so. Um, but like, if I see something appear, if I see the Fox news alert and it actually is something and not, you know, some stupid promotional stunt, which they've really come to abuse that Fox news alert for. But I look at the, the Chiron, the, you know, the lower third, I say, what are they talking about? Oh, this is significant. And then I unmute the television. That's kind of, kind of how I use it. Now, the fact that I pay over a hundred dollars a month for that is kind of upsetting. And, and I think about canceling it sometimes, but, uh, for now that's what I'm doing. Okay. So. Just for me, I, I've never had anything like cable TV growing up. My dad didn't exactly believe in uh, cable television, so as soon as I could do torrenting in middle school, I was doing it. Um, oh, what, what, what's torrenting? I'm sorry. I uh, don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. But anyway, right. um, the people that I do know that watches uh, Fox News, and, and I, I do work retail, so I do talk to a lot of people. Um, so many of them haven't even turned on Fox News since Tucker Carlson left. I mean, I even talked with a guy, 82, uh, a couple days ago, and he told me that he finally canceled his cable over it, and he's trying to figure out Twitter, and his grandson was helping him so he could watch Tucker Carlson. So if you couple that with <laughs> the oldest of boomers are now cutting their cable and getting online, you couple that with Joe Rogan willing to uh, interview um, Robert Kennedy Jr., and he starts talking about COVID vaccines, and he and Joe Rogan is the biggest 
uh, bis- biggest media ever in the world right now. And nobody's willing to come on Joe Rogan's show to debate RFK. So the future I have in mind, the reason why I think it is one hell of a white pill right now, is no one's going to watch any debates on CNN because no one even wants to debate. Joe Biden doesn't want to debate. Um, Trump doesn't want to debate. But everyone's listening to Joe Rogan. So your next big presidential debate is going to happen on his show. Not CNN, not Fox News. So many people have canceled that. And um, I know that a a large subject matter on a different production has to do with the way media is controlled in this country. But control is best when there is centralization in just a few networks. They can't control it when it gets out of control. They lost the biggest piece that was keeping media centralized. And now 82-year-olds are trying to figure out Twitter. There is no presidential election that is going to be the same like 2016 or any year previous. And I, I think it's a big white pill. Well, anyway, I, I thank think, you for taking my call. Yeah, thank you very much for making a call. Um, and so I think that um, the uh, uh, what you're saying is there's something to it. Uh I don't know that television's going out of style anytime soon. I, I, I have my doubts about that, let's say. The idea that the debates are going to be carried out by Joe Rogan or something like that, I don't think there's a great deal of evidence to support that. We know that the the um, the first and currently only scheduled Republican primary debate is going to be on Fox News and streamed to Rumble. So Rumble is like the streaming provider for um, for this event, but it's going to be carried by Fox news. It's going to be hosted by Fox news personalities. Right. And so there's your Republican primary debate. Now the Democrats are planning not to have a primary debate, but of course, if they did, it would be hosted by CNN or MSNBC. That's, you know, how, how it works, you know, or NPR or whatever, you know, it'd be one of those outlets. Um, decentralization only works to some degree, right? Like you can't, you can't completely decentralize a thing because it's a question of, you know, who's in control of the media apparatus in the moment, you know, Joe Rogan, you know, is what a hundred million people downloaded or whatever. Well, that's huge. That just means that Joe Rogan is then, you know, the central point of failure or whatever. Right. And so, you know, Joe Rogan is uh, going to talk to RFK and be like, look at how edgy I am. But he's pretty unlikely to have me on. Right. And so, you know, it's just shifting one central point of control to another. And, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with, you know, a changing of the guard. I'm not complaining about that fundamentally. But of course, you know, Joe Rogan um, is not immune to influence, let's say, you know. He 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 he's paid a hundred million dollars to do a podcast, and if they're like, "Hey, I want my hundred million dollars back," he's gonna be like, "What what do I have to do?" <laughs> no no no, I want my hundred million dollars. What do I have to do? Okay, whoever pays you a hundred million dollars gets to tell you what to do. That's the way that works. And so, you know, I don't think that uh, I don't think that media control of the narrative is going away. And by the way, I'm not entirely certain that 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 it would be a good thing if it did. Okay. I remarked on, um, I don't know, if uh, Operation Warp V, I think was the thing I titled it, you know, where I'm like, there's no, like, there's no consensus, you know, there's no consensus on where to get facts from anymore. And I, and 
even though our previous consensus of where to get facts from was deeply flawed and led to bad outcomes, I am of the opinion that it is not good that we lack um, such a source. If there's no way for if there's no way for a, a, a citizenry to agree on a set of facts, then there are problems that attend to that, which are not, shall we say, always anticipated and that have the potential to lead to uh, very substantial problems. And so uh, that, uh, that's going to do it for today. I'm going to wrap it up. I thank you very much for tuning into Surreal Politics. If, you, um, if you're getting concerned, you think that you know the government's out to get you, you think that uh, everything's going to heck in a handbasket, Maybe you need some uh, some privacy services, and you can find out more about that at um, rightwingsecurity.com. Then you can go get like a Proton Mail or a VPN service. Uh, more stuff being added to there very soon. Um, not much there yet, but you can also, you know, maybe you're getting, uh, maybe you need to uh, get in shape. Maybe you're afraid that things are going to go completely bad, Max. You're not going to be able to skip the country. You're just going to have to, uh, you're just going to have to get on with the with the whole post-apocalypse thing, the whole Ann Coulter bit. You know what I mean? In which case, you know, you got to get you got to get in shape and then you go over to rightwingfitness.com and uh, you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to find some information there. Not much there now, but we'll work on that. Okay, rightwingfitness.com, rightwingsecurity.com. Those are very interesting things. If you're not a member at surrealpolitics.com slash join, then go ahead and do that. That'd be really smart because then I'd get paid. And, you know, that that's obviously genius. Um, and thank you to everybody who paid me, uh, for the, uh, for the live chat today. If you just want to throw money at me, plenty of ways to do that. It's realpolitics.com slash donate or, uh, givesendgo.com slash SPM. We'll get you to the give, send, go, but I got cash app. I got all that stuff. If you want to pay me? I, I make it easy enough for you to do when it, what happened to like, I used to have people, I used to have people who listen to the show who had cryptocurrency. I guess they don't listen. I guess the cryptocurrency people don't like the show anymore. I don't get cryptocurrency anymore, and that's okay, you know. But I like cryptocurrency, and that's all at surrealpolitics.com uh, uh, slash donate. We'll show you all my QR codes. I, well, not my QR codes, but the keys. I haven't, you know, created all the images, but, you know. Should I read? I'll just read out my Monero key. No, I shouldn't do that. That would, that would be a really terrible radio. And so um, uh, maybe next time it says, pledge allegiance to Israel, Chris, and you will be on any show you want. Well, if I do that, then I get to go on the show and then I can say other things. I don't know. Probably, I, I figure they probably figured that part out. So maybe that's not going to work, but you know, in any case, you guys are great. Thank you very much for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back, of course, on Wednesday for the member chat. If you're not a member, you're missing out. We're having a lot of, we're having a great time over at the member chats. So surrealpolitics.com slash join. It's 10 bucks a month. Unless you got a promo code, you might be able to get it for less. Uh, but sometimes they give people a promo code. They're like, no, you know what? I really want to pay full price for this because it's fantastic. It's it's that good and you're missing out. So go ahead and do that. And um, then we'll be back Wednesday for that. Uh, and we'll be back, of course. I'll be back on Friday for the, uh, for the Uncensored production. And you are going to see, uh, you know, uh, if you're into like the edgiest stuff, if you're into the edgiest stuff, you know, I'll be back Friday for an Uncensored production on some platforms not us we don't do that on rumble rumble you guys are great love rumble but you only get surreal politics you got to go to surrealpolitics.com find out more get on the newsletter if you get on the newsletter then i send you an email you get to know what's happening with everything and then when i get banned then i just send you an email be like hey i got banned from here i gotta go over there now you know this type of stuff so we'll see you guys real soon thank you very much for tuning in have yourselves a wonderful evening good night